right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. We don't got time for that. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. I'm back, back in studio with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson here. Uh, we're going to be joined by Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, in about 35 minutes. Real quick, Derek, go ahead and clarify. You're back because your test was negative. Yes. To be clear. It's not like he's thrown caution to the wind and showed up anyway. Yeah, no, yeah. I uh, I was like, screw it. This thing ain't real. It's no, positive, the, but you guys are coming down with me. Yeah. No, I felt fine the whole time. It was just, you know, close contact, played safe. So now I'm back. Uh, hopefully it sounds better for those of you listening. Um, we've also got some Bill's Health Audio to play for you. We're going to talk Chiefs. we got our game picks. KU taking on Texas Tech tomorrow on the hoops front, 3 o'clock. Pre-game 1.30, right here on KLWN, Sister Station 105.9 KISS. We are going to be, I believe, intertwined with the KU women's game on KLWN, but you'll be able to hear the full men's game over on that Sister Station with 105.9 KISS. Texas Tech is a good team. Top 25 in the country in the AP poll. They're ranked 20th on Ken Palm, and they're basically a better version of Oklahoma State, and that's the case with a lot of Big 12 teams this year where they're they're really good defensively, and maybe they're not as good offensively. Like, KU kind of bucks the trend a little bit there in the Big 12 this year. Um, but whereas Oklahoma State was good defensively, top 20, Texas Tech is elite. They're top five. Whereas Oklahoma State was bad offensively in the 100s, Texas Tech is better than that. They're, like, in the 60s. Um, and this is just one of those games where, you know, Texas Tech just had a rock fight of a game. They they lost 51-47 to 47 at Iowa State. Most of the best teams they've played, they've lost to, lost by 14 to Gonzaga, lost by four on the road against a, a Providence team that is 51st on Ken Palm. Their best win, they beat Tennessee, who's 15th in a neutral site game in overtime. How about this? A game that went to overtime ended 57-52. to 52. That's not a fun game either. Um, but outside of that, they haven't really played good competition. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the schedule. Like These are the rankings of their opponents. 294, 333, 261, 354, 339, 314, 195, 215, 334. So there's not a whole lot you can learn from the schedule outside of maybe a couple of theirs. But uh, efficiency-wise and everything, this is a, a, a good basketball team, and it's one that uh, when you go up, it's it's going to be a, a very different game than what you're used to. Uh, this Kansas team we know has a really good offense. They get out in transition. They can score easy buckets. This game's going to be, you know, you're going to have to win it in the half court. You're going to have to win it by hitting threes. You're going to have to win it by not getting all of your points in transition. You're going to have to win it with your defense, and I think that is a challenge on its own for this team. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing, it, it's going to be a combination. One, just style, but also the mental side of it. They're going to have to keep from being annoyed and 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 getting antsy and thinking boy it's already you know 10 seconds into the shot clock we should have put up a shot by now we gotta you know they they need to take smart shots uh when and, and take good shots when they're given good shots um and not get too you know you're not 
I mean, barring something very unexpected, you're not going to have a 15 to three run in this game. That's just not going to happen. And you have to be mentally strong enough to just chip away and take each possession as it is. Um, and that I think as much as any talent that Texas tech has, I think that, that the mental side of it is going to be just as big of a deal because it's going to be so different from how this KU play team plays. And on top of that, how this KU team plays happens to be very, very exciting. So if you're used to playing in a really exciting way and you're forced to play in a somewhat boring way, it will be easy to get um, either not either frustrated and make mistakes or just bored and lose focus and make mistakes. Yeah, and that's exactly what you have to avoid. That worries me a little bit from that standpoint. Like we've seen, you know, when when Roy Williams past couple of years, and maybe it's just because over his last couple of years, his teams weren't as good and Virginia has been really good, but like Tony Bennett has kind of dominated that series and that would be kind of that style of play. Now, now part of the, uh, the missing puzzle for Texas Tech, like they didn't have three of their better player or two of their better players on Wednesday. Terrence Shannon, Kevin McCuller, those are their two leading scorers, about 14 points, 13 and a half points per game respectively. They missed that game on, on Wednesday. So did Malik Wilson. Their game time decisions for the game on Saturday against Kansas. So I don't know what's going to happen there, but that obviously will have a, a pretty big impact on the game. As I mentioned, though, the Red Raiders are elite on the defensive end of the court. They are top five in Ken Palm in adjusted defensive efficiency. Um, coming off that game where they held Iowa State to 51 points on the road, they still lost, though, but they basically just do everything well. That's how they get there. They're they're kind of similar to the Kansas offense. Like, why is the Kansas offense so good? Because they have so many different things that they do well. Well, that's the case for the Tech defense. They are top 30 in the nation in effective field goal percentage defense, turnover rate defense, two-point defense, non-steal turnovers, which is like charges, for instance, so they take a lot of charges. They're 31st in defensive rebounding. They're 32nd in steal rate. They just do a lot of things really well. Um, teams do shoot a lot, shoot a lot of threes against them, a lot, and I think that's partially a product. Do they, they shoot play. them well, not really. Thirty point eight percent. Now this is a, a whole discussion. Uh, we have this every now and then with you know how much do you take from that? Is three point defense luck? Is it based on your size? Does it help when you have taller players? Um, is it more about just preventing teams from getting threes? That's part of it. I think what goes into that number is because Texas Tech's defense on the interior is so good and they play that no middles defense. I, I think because of that, it's almost like they, like you have to take threes. Otherwise you're not going to get an open shot inside. And, and knowing that a lot comes down to how well Kansas shoots from the outside in this game. This what worries me now. And, and the more you say that, the more worried I am after such a fantastic game, um, I think it would be fair to, I mean, and, and look, he's, he's struggled a lot as David McCormick, but I, I do think there's the potential of him having an underwhelming game tomorrow. Yeah, and this it, is the and type of team being that they don't was, have a ton of size, but they yeah, swarm you inside. Exactly, yeah. and I think this is the, the type of game where he could have an un underwhelming performance, but it will be more, as, as frustrating as McCormick has been, I think if that happens tomorrow, just to kind of get ahead of it, because I don't like to... I don't like to just react to things. I like to kind of, and we both do. We kind of like to, to set things up so we can just look at it and in hindsight decide where we right or where we wrong and what can we learn from it. But just to, to look ahead, I, I if he struggles tomorrow, I think that will be much more just tip your hat to the way they play and how good they are at playing. And it's funny 
to give you a little taste of, of uh, the Bill Self audio we'll play later, he, he compared that uh, Texas Tech-Iowa State game to an old Big Ten game, and obviously he had plenty of those at, at uh, Illinois. What's funny about that is if you look at uh, Ken Palm, those are two Big 12 teams in Texas Tech and Iowa State, and one of the premier Big Ten teams, that being Purdue, they're basically identical to Kansas with a, a freakish offense, and, and um, in Purdue's case, just a, a an average defense. KU's defense is a, a little better, but back to how this game's going to go, um, What did, are you worried at all? And this honestly might be a Bill Self thing, or maybe a team thing, because he has said in the past he wants Christian Brown, for example, to shoot a little more. But are are you worried at all about um, the possibility that they'll stop shooting threes if they don't go down early? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and like I said, like with with Tech, um, I think this goes into the three point defense thing here. They don't have a ton of size. When I when I say that, I meant like at the center position, like Bryson Williams, who was a guy at UTEP last year. Who yeah, you're, you're meaning Kansas. The, the guy, the guy, the type of guys that yes. will be defending Dave. Yes, the guys you're talking. Yeah, about. and Bryson Williams, like I said, he killed Kansas last year when he was at UTEP. So that's that's interesting on its own. But he's playing a lot of their center minutes. He's six foot eight. Marcus Santos Silva, he plays a lot of center minutes. He's six seven. Now Daniel Bacho is six eleven. He does have some size in there. Um, their power forward is six eight, or they'll play a six 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 seven guy. Right. It's not a ton of size down low, but it's funny when you add it all up, they just have size at every position. It's like the point guard is 6'3", 6'5", or 6'6". The shooting guard is 6'5", or 6'6". The the small forward is 6'6", or 6'7". They're actually 19th in, in average height on Ken Palm when you total it all up, and I think that does impact the three-point defense as well, where they play the no-middle defense, but then because they have the long arms, they can come out and contest on you, and maybe that makes it a little more difficult. So yeah, it, it is important for KU to shoot threes. I think it is important when you have smaller guards that they need to see a couple of them early go down so you avoid that very scenario where you get kind of um I don't know you lose your confidence a little bit there and I think furthermore to that notion like we've had the conversations this week about Remy Martin uh, there's going to be times where he needs to be a little more selfish with his shot and needs to be more of a score he had seven points on just six shots against Oklahoma State but he hit the big two shots late and we've seen other games this year where he has had low shots, so I do understand that you could say, well, maybe he was less aggressive because he had the knee injury. Maybe he just wasn't, you know, wanting to attack the rim and take those hits and everything. But there have been other games, too, where he had low shots numbers. This, to me, feels like the game where you have to go off as a scorer because any way that you can create offense, that you can create those those jump shots or threes or, or drives into the lane, this is the game where you need to step up off offensively. I'll agree with that completely, and I'll add two names to that list. One is uh, Christian Brown. He passes up a lot of not. He passes up a lot of good looks because from three because they're not great looks. And I don't know how many great looks this team is going to give you from three. And you have to say, okay, I'm not wide open right now, but I'm open enough that I'm a good enough shooter that this is probably a 60% shot for me. Because right now it seems like Christian Brown struggles to do – and it's not – it's something – it just looks like he, he doesn't want to risk it. Not, not to, like, save his stat line or anything like that. It just – his thought is – well, maybe if I pass, I can get a better shot for somebody else. But it seems like Christian Brown right now is passing up a lot of threes if it's not like a ninety percent make. Um, again, not to like not to save his his numbers, but to think, well, I, this is a, this isn't a, a 
perfect shot. So maybe if I pass it, mm-hmm. I'll get somebody a perfect shot. And usually it doesn't. Um, yeah, exactly. Sometimes you just got to take what you're given and and deal with it because whoever you pass it to, they won't have a great shot either. And and unless it's Ochai Abaji, the person you pass to isn't as good a shooter you as you. And the second person I'll add to that list um, as far as who needs to have a great game is Bill Self. This is a game where his freakish ability to uh, design sideline and baseline out-of-bounds plays are going to be enormous. They won the game on a uh, out-of-bounds under-the-hoop play with Ochai last year. I mean, this is going to be where he, you know, he's going to have to get them, you know, eight or ten points out of out of off out-of-bounds plays or or plays out of bounds or um, um, plays out of timeouts that he just, you know, maybe the other team's on a run. So he calls a timeout to draw drop a play, and it's something that, that just works beautifully and gets them two easy points. Um, they're gonna need that because points. Not only will points be at a premium because um, because it will be a a tight game. Points will also be at a premium because there might not be 120 points scored in this game total. No, yeah, and that's the thing. You do at least feel confident that Tech probably won't run away from you. Now, if Tech's just hitting a bunch of threes, you probably, because of how good their defense is, you tip your cap and you say, okay, we took a, a road loss to a good team if that does happen. Um, the things that Tech does well, though, they're they're not a very good shooting team. They shoot poorly from the free throw line. They're, they're below average from three. They do shoot well on twos. Um, they're top 25 nationally there. They're top 10 in offensive rebounding rate. They get to the foul line a lot. They're kind of just a rugged team in that regard. But one thing that I'm interested in with the offense, I think goes back to the defense. It's they they turn the ball over um, too often. They, they have kind of bad turnover numbers, but the issue is not a lot of them are giving up steals. A lot of them are other types of turnovers, throwing it out of bounds or uh, running into a charge or something where they're turnovers that KU can't get to their strength, which is playing in transition, getting out in the open court. And what that means is when you have a tech team that plays at a slow tempo, when you have a tech team that plays elite defense, when you have a tech team that their turnovers aren't necessarily going to be the live ball turnovers that give you easy buckets, um, this feels like a game to me that you have to win it in the half court, which again goes back to if you can make some threes, that would be huge. But also, I, I think this will speak a lot like as we look for takeaways and, and you're talking about things in, well, what matters once you come to March? Well, how many games do we see in the NCAA tournament where they slow down a lot more than normal or their games that are more played in the half court than maybe in the regular season. I think we see that a lot more in the NCAA tournament yeah. than the regular season. So this is a good opportunity to go prove. Go prove that you can win a game where you win it with your defense, where you win it with your half court offense, that you're not just fully reliant on being a transition offense. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. And um and I think making sure that because while you are correct, the um charges and throwing the ball out of bounds you're right that those are the types of turnovers that do not lead to fast break opportunities. They are, however, fat, or, uh, turnovers that um, the defense can have a say in, that you can uh, help dictate whether or not they do turn the ball over and get extra possessions for yourself. Um, and so, you know, you, you could force those turnovers. The huge thing to me will be um, – you know, there's all there's always a propensity. If you get down to a team, there's always a propensity to try to you know score five points with every shot, and mm-hmm. you get desperate. 
And that's going to be compounded if you are down by, you know, double digits. And, um, again, you know, so you're going to have the, the, the anxiety of being down double digits, but also the annoyance and the frustration of a team that doesn't let you score fast anyway. So not getting down, um, look, you don't want to get down double digits against anybody, but you know, you, you there just there are certain games where you you can put together a, a you know twenty to four run. This isn't going to be one of them. And if you do put together a 24, 20 to four run, it's going to be over the course of about eight or nine or ten minutes. Yeah. So I, I think a lot that we can take away from this game, and uh, I'll be really interested to see it. Uh, it'll be on the same time as the Chiefs game. We'll talk more about the Chiefs game coming up in a little, but we do have some Bill Self audio we want to play for you. We'll have Brian Haney join the show in about 20 minutes. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, depending on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. All right, it's a Friday. Time to talk with the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson. Um, so, Brian, we, we were just talking about this. Uh, Bill Self, in his presser today, said in regards to that DeWan Harris steal, quote, has there ever been a better basketball play? Which he asked the question, so we started talking about it. And it got me thinking. We were just talking about some of the best duos in the Bill Self era last week. What if we had the conversation of some of the best plays in the Bill Self era? And I think, you know, you could you could almost sort this into two categories if you really wanted to. This is just how, how my brain worked with it. You could have the all the ones in the NCAA tournament, because those are just kind of fueled by the memory of, of winning when your season's on the line. And then you have your your regular season ones, and you can even divvy it up from there as well if you want to just view it as, you know, from uh, the non-tournament ones, games where there's a late shot or a buzzer beater, like the Frank in the Garden or Wayne Simeon against Oklahoma State, Keith Langford against Georgia Tech, to the the non-shooting plays, right? Like the, the Thomas Robinson block, the um, Frank Mason inbound pass where he stole it in triple overtime against Oklahoma. Frank Mason saving the ball against Kansas State and, and jumping over that table and then running back into the play. So if, if we were to talk best plays in the Bill Self era by an individual player over a one play, what kind of comes to mind for you? Well, I think you just listed off most of them. The one you left off is uh, in a place we're headed to as we speak. Uh, at the time of talking with you, we're about to board the plane to Lubbock, and Devontae Graham clinched Big 12 Player of the Year, and he clinched 14 straight on a prayer answered off the top of the backboard, a flip from the hip that had all kinds of English on it and somehow rattled in in a back-and-forth, neck-and-neck game, two top-ten teams at United Supermarkets Arena down there in Lubbock. And that really solidified his legacy because it solidified him as the Conference Player of the Year, which makes him a Jersey Rafter honoree and made him an All-American, made Kansas winners of 14 straight. And so that one, to me, in your shot-making category, belongs on the list of regular season shots. But you did a pretty tremendous job of rattling them off. I mean, uh, the speed uh, travel that was not a travel, uh, (laughs) according to the officials, versus K-State, in which he went the full 94 feet in like four steps uh, to hit the game winner in the Sunflower Showdown, that was a pretty special one. But I don't know if it cracks the top five or six. 
But, uh, yeah, you did a great job. That's a comprehensive list right there. And I think where Coach was coming from with his quote today, knowing that he's all about defense and toughness and, and being the ultimate competitor, you know, what he thinks, is there a better basketball play than that one? He's not even thinking about shot-making plays. He's thinking about hustle, defense, all that. And to make such an athletic recovery, uh, basically from his seat, uh, you know, to do that, what he did on Tuesday night was just remarkable. So tip of the cap to DeJuan. At the time that he made the play, I remember thinking, man, I've never seen that before. But I, I couldn't have imagined that a guy who's seen more basketball than anybody I know and remembers more basketball than anybody I know would be saying it's the best play ever 72 hours later. But that's Coach Self for you, and I'll take his opinion like gospel. All right, so if, if I'm coming up with the, the Mount Rushmore of, let's specify it to, like you said, a, a basically a non-shooting play because that's that's what that Dewan Harris one was. It was specifically on defense. I'm not going to limit it to that. But if I'm going with my Mount Rushmore there of the Bill Self era of non-scoring plays, I'm going to go with the T-Rob block against Missouri. I'm going to go with yep. the Frank Mason inbound pass steal against uh, Buddy Heald that kind of sealed the deal there in triple overtime. I am going to go with, oh, man, this is so hard. I think I would have to go with Svee boxing out Marvin Bagley in the Elite Eight because if he doesn't box him out on that Grayson Allen miss, he might just tip that thing in, and then you lose that game. I, I don't know where I would go with the fourth one, though. Man. Um, I mean, there's so many, like, Marcus about, Garrett about, steals or Jeff Withy blocks you could pick from. Yeah, no kidding. You know, and, and obviously Mario's shot is a scoring play, but Sharon mm-hmm. getting the ball off to him as he stumbled to the ground was really athletic. And there was also a, a big sequence with a, with a steal by Collins and a big three that you got to put in there, too, um, in, in the, the comeback, you know, with, with two minutes to go down in San Antonio versus Memphis. So, yeah, just doing all this off the top of our heads, uh, I'm sure leaving out a lot of great stuff, but definitely a great conversation starter. And then if we're talking scoring plays, you know, that works, national championship on the line type thing, the Wayne Selden dunk, you know, is, is one that has to be on the list in terms of just unbelievably, incredibly jaw-dropping athleticism type plays when his uncle was going crazy in the stands or whoever that guy was. And, uh, and you know, that that's probably the number one dunk of the Bill Selfier, I would think, 19 years deep. Uh, Brian, I've got one for you. This was before Derek um, got to, to Lawrence and, and became a KU fan, but uh, the T-Rob and Tyshawn team that made it to the national title that year, I think it was like their second or third um, second or third Big 12 conference game, Baylor came in, ranked fourth in the country, um, and Kansas was ranked seventh, and Tyshawn got the ball in a breakaway, which led to an alley-oop to T-Rob, which was, just threw it down with a one-handed slam. And I, I, that put the Jayhawks up like eight to four, but, and I've never seen in my life a team lose a basketball game on one play. Baylor was done after that (laughs) moment. It's, it, it started, I swear it started a KU, like, I don't know, 16 to two run or something. And this is against the number four team in the country. So if if we are allowed to talk scoring plays, I got to put that one on there. You know what else we, we didn't say, and we said this in the previous segment, but, um, uh, the the I don't remember if you would have been on the call this year or you started the next year, but the Devontae Graham 
shake and bake three against West Virginia in overtime. I mean, clearly, if we're talking like the greatest comebacks of the Bill Self era, it's probably the Missouri oh, yeah. one because of the implications. But just in terms of what you had to overcome, 14 points with 245 left, it probably was the West Virginia game. And the play that sticks out the most is that shake and bake three from Devontae. Yeah, that's my favorite comeback for sure. That's my favorite example of the field house imposing its will on an opposition, you know, in terms of seeing Nathan Adrian, their uh, inbounder, watching his legs physically shake <laughs> with nerves as, as the magnitude of the moment and the roar of the crowd and the, the amplified atmosphere of the building just rained down on top of him. That was truly one of my top three or four favorite days since I've been back and Definitely my favorite comeback I've had a chance to call. Everybody will pick Mizzou down 19 in 2012 as number one overall, given the circumstances. But down 14 with 2.45 to go, I mean, that's, you know, if ESPN had their BPI probability, that's less than 1% chance of coming back. But Allen Fieldhouse is a place where the impossible happens many times when it involves the home team. Yeah, uh, so I don't know, a lot of good plays. And, and like you said, it's kind of tough to, to pick. It's it's a little easier to do duos or best players, but when you narrow it down to one specific play in a specific game, it's a little tougher to come up with. But maybe we'll put some more brain power to that. We're talking with Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks here. Uh, getting ready to head down to Lubbock. KU taking on Texas Tech tomorrow. Uh, what do you think the biggest challenge in this game specifically for the Jayhawks is going to be? Well, I think that honestly, right now, it's the biggest challenge is figuring out who they're going to be up against. Um, you know, you look at Texas Tech midweek, they were down to seven players, five scholarship players. The top two scores were out, with, were out with injuries, and then it was a COVID mess after that. And so not knowing who it's going to be, does McCuller come back? Is Shannon able to play for the first time in five games? Both those guys, their top two players, are game-time decisions. And then there's several others behind them that are up in the air as well. Once you know who you're up against, then the biggest challenge is obviously their defense. And Mark Adams was the architect of the Chris Beard defense that got Texas Tech all the way to the national title game and had them within 13 seconds of winning it all back in 2019. He's the brains behind that. Certainly Beard was the intensity behind that, but a lot of that is carried over, and there's a lot that's very similar under Adams um, you know, compared to what we saw under Chris Beard. If Mark Adams can recruit half as well as Beard did, they'll be very successful there because philosophically they're very similar. He's 65 years old. It's probably a four- or five-year stint at most for him there. But this is a guy who's been around that program for a long time. He was an assistant on Tubby Smith's staff when I was down there. I called games of his son, Luke Adams, who's now a coach as well. Huge fan of the Adams family and not the TV show. I know where Adams right. went when I said that. <laughs> um, but huge, huge fan of that whole basketball family and specifically the basketball mind on the defensive end of the floor that Mark Adams brings. So they're going to come out and guard you on the catch 30 feet from the bucket. As soon as KU throws to the wing, they're right up there in your business where they can smell your breath. So they're going to try to force you out of the lane. They're going to try to force it to the sideline and make it tough for Kansas to come down the middle. And, and these are all the challenges that that type of defense and that type of defensive intensity will impose on you. question is, who are the players within that personnel grouping doing that? Because obviously if you take away some of their most explosive athletes, even the best scheme in the world, isn't nearly as effective. And so I'm real curious to see and Maybe we'll find out tonight when we break bread with some of the Texas Tech announcers uh, what they're hearing, but you got a lot of game-time decisions for tomorrow afternoon at 3. 
We've been doing Rock Chalk Pick a Hawk in your legacy here. Um, I'm up to a three to one lead on Adam right now. And and as we've been doing the segment, it's it's become very clear this year. Like pretty much whoever has the first pick and the second pick between us, it, it's Christian Brown and Ochai in some order. Um, we've had a little more diversity after that, though, especially I would say picks really three through six. Um, if if you had a pick for tomorrow's game for that third pick after Ochai and Christian, what would be your uh, your your Rock Chalk Pick a Hawk draft primer for us? Ooh, I like that. I like that. I, I don't think David repeats uh, to the degree that we saw the other day. I, I think the way Tech will play us will be a little more difficult to do that, uh, at least in terms of 17 or 15. I mean, he, he may go out and give them 12 and 8, and that's still a nice performance because, again, Self is looking at that position as a collective total between him and Mitch and not just David himself. Um, it, it's hard to predict when the Remy game is going to come, right? We, we thought the Remy game would be every other game back in October, and now I have a feeling that you know, the, the night when Remy goes for 17 and hits the game winner is, is one out of every six. And so he wouldn't be my likely choice there either. Um, man. Jalen Wilson's due, but he's shooting it so poorly right now. I mean, we're talking about two of 23 from three, and he's now below 40% from the free throw lines, so even though he rebounded the basketball like gangbusters the other night with 15 boards, which tied his career high. It's hard to feel super solid about going too far out on a limb with him. Um, you know, can I, can I predict Devon, uh, Dewan Harris getting – Three steals, six assists. Will he have enough scoring punts? That's the question. But the, the key to handling Tech's pressure is extra ball handlers on the floor at all times. And so I think Self will want to have as much of the one out there as possible. So uh, he wouldn't be the guy I'd take third, but I'd take him fourth or fifth. I honestly would. I think his value goes up in a game like this where defensive intensity is ratcheted up and ball handling is out of priority. You get a chance to break these guys down off the bounce, and you could get numbers two-on-one, and, and that's where you could see him pile up some assists. And obviously he's riding high coming off the greatest play of all time, as you just discussed. <laughs> so maybe he'll parlay that confidence into uh, a little more uh, in the stat sheet as well. So he'll be my sleeper pick, but maybe not at number three. I don't know about that. All right, he's Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks. Brian, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Brian, uh, by my count, you have coached or you have uh, called play-by-play for two coaches who have won a men's national championship. So let me ask, between Tubby Smith and Bill Self, who buys the better Christmas gifts? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you actually need to rephrase the question. Between Cindy Self and Donna Smith. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably, that's that's fair. That's a good call. And, and they're both lovely ladies and wonderful families. And I still talk to Tubby once a year. He's truly one of my favorite guys I ever had a chance to work for. But uh, it's tough to beat what the, the self family comes up with. Uh, this year I got a really nice bottle of wine. Previous year she bought me this Moscow Mule set with all the fixings, alcohol-wise. We had some limes. We had the Moscow Mule kind of copper glasses as well in this huge basket. So Cindy goes all out. I got to tip the cap to the self in answering that question and uh, give Donna Smith and and the Tubby Smith family the the silver medal in that regard. All right. Well, Cindy, if you're listening, I like bourbon. (laughs) 
<laughs> See if we get anything showing up here at the, the front door. Brian, thank you so much. Safe travels down to Lubbock and look forward to hearing you on the call tomorrow, 3 o'clock pregame, one thirty, right here on KLWN. That's right. And big thanks to my man Nate Miller and the Miller Retirement Group. Just like the Jayhawks need a game plan to take down Texas Tech tomorrow, you need a good game plan for your retirement. So check them out today at MillerRetirementGroup.com. Nate and his team are first class, first team All-Americans in my book. So check them out today. Guys, thanks so much. And I'm sure as I board the plane here in a second, I'm going to think of about three more epic plays that go on the best play ever list so let's let's reconvene on that next week too when we're not on the spot so i bet we left three or four really good ones on the table i'm sure we did cue the disclaimer Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. And Brian, thank you so much for the time as always, man. Have a good one. Always a pleasure, fellas. Take care. All right, that is Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. For Adam Dravet, I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. Coming up, we'll talk some Chiefs, get to our game picks in the 4 o'clock hour, all that and more. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. So I just saw this on, on Twitter. Um, you know the card game Uno, right? Yes. So, very fun game. I actually just played it, uh, like, last week. They just are introducing a new game of Uno called Uno All Wild. And yes, you guessed it, every card is a wild. That doesn't, so it's just... How does it end? You just keep putting down wilds. It's just... <laughs> but, like, whoever goes first would be the winner, because you just keep putting down wilds so ridiculous. until somebody runs out. Have you ever played the Uno that has the blank card on it? Yeah, I, your rule. the thing is, if you're not playing with, like, fun, creative people, then the blank ones are never that fun. Yeah. Um, but if you are, then, then it can be enjoyable. I learned this. I don't know if this is all across Europe. I watch a, a very fun um, YouTube channel called the Try Channel, and it's just a bunch of Irish people trying random things. <laughs> and uh, they did this stretch pre-COVID around holiday uh, times when they would... Um, so what two or three years ago mm -hmm. when they would uh, they did these things called floored games where they would play various games drunk okay. and so like if you lose you got to do a shot so they're getting more drunk but anyway one of them they were playing uno and after each the after there's four of them and then you had the one person who won and then the three who lost had to take a shot of absinthe well um, what I learned, and I don't know if this is all across Europe or just Ireland or just these people, but the version there they played, you don't say Uno when you're down to one card. You say Uno when you're done, which seems to me to defeat the purpose of the you know title. What? It's called Uno because it yeah. means one. And then you have to draw cards if and somebody exactly, says it before you. And it's the you. same yeah. thing. If you, don't, if you put it down, and, and it's, it's the same concept where if you put it down and don't say Uno and somebody calls you on it, you have to draw four cards. The only difference is, for whatever reason, the way they played on this game, in this video anyway, mm -hmm. was it was your final card, not when you're holding one left, which mm -hmm. didn't make much that sense make to me. Sense. But I also, I'm, you know, it's not like I'm the type to hop on Twitter and correct them and stuff like that. It, you know, whatever. But it just, I don't know if, if that is is something that that was, ex or if they just misread the instructions, or if that's how it's played all across Ireland. Or what? But anyway, I, f I found that very interesting. But I would like to know um, how this 
oops all wilds game would work i i don't either it looks like all the cards are like they're wild reverses so you can send it either way or they're why i i don't understand i i don't get it when i saw uh, i i do uh we actually had a little uh I don't want to make this like complete Uno talk, but let me get your take on this. Uh, somebody, their last card was there's a card that says swap hands with another person. Okay. And that was their last card. Yeah. But wouldn't that mean somebody else won? Because they have to swap they their hand swap with somebody hands. else. Ooh, that's a good. Ooh, that's. Wait, so. Right? So the it was swap hand. Okay, so the person who the lays card down says swap hands with somebody else. But would that be for the person to their left since they'd have they that would pick be, who they swap hands with? No, 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 no. But I'm saying with the perfect with since would the person who lays that card down be the one that has to swap hands, or yeah. would the person who to their left have to? No, the intention of the card is like I have a bunch so of the cards. I play who it and lays I, it down. Yeah. Has to switch has hands. Has to do the okay. Uh, so wouldn't they just be awarding? Yeah, no, the winner they'd at be that awarding point? a winner at some point. Very interesting. Yeah. So you, congratulations to whoever swapped with them. I would say, yeah, they just awarded their victory to somebody else. Well, that's how I kind of feel about the Broncos starting Drew Locke in this game. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater's out. He is injured. No, I, I don't think it's a certainty Locke plays because he suffered an injury, but it sounds like he's going to. If not, it's it up be, to like 11 and a half now. Yeah, dude. it is. Brett Rippian would be the other guy. And uh, that's not great for the Broncos either way. Drew Locke, as we mentioned the other day, not a good quarterback. Under 60% for his career, like 25 touchdowns, like 22 interceptions. It has not been good for him. And he's also coming off an injury. Is something happening? I need to share some incredible... Okay. Nobody's going to care about this, but maybe me, but it's related to some breaking news that I shared yesterday. Okay. We talked about how Todd Haley became the head yeah. coach of the USFL's Tampa Bay Bandits. Guess who he just said, uh, allegedly sent a text to a certain player. Uh, oh, I thought you were going to say Romeo Cornell. No, to, to a former player to join him as a player on the Tampa Bay Bandits. As a play, Johnny Menzel? No, he... Uh, I'll give you a hint. Uh, couple, Castle? I'll give you a couple hints. Uh, Todd Haley has coached this guy in the past, and he currently is not playing, but he wouldn't have to get far from his current or his most recent gig to get to the Tampa Bay Bandits. Is this a quarterback? No. He was his offensive coordinator. Charlie Weiss? No, no, no. Oh. Todd Haley was this player's offensive coordinator. He wants him to come play for him. Kurt Warner? No. Oh, you said it wasn't a quarterback. Larry Fitzgerald. Antonio Brown. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I didn't, wait, when did he coach Antonio Brown? He was his offensive coordinator in Pittsburgh. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I, I totally blanked in my mind that he was with Pittsburgh. Wow. That would be something. <laughs> hey, sorry. if you want to sell just, tickets. I don't even know if that was if that needed to be broken into this show, but I just read the text right now, and I Derek saw my arm shoot up into the air. I love Todd mm. Haley. You guys don't understand how much I love Todd Haley. Like, he's one of my favorite ever. Um, and so really any news that involves Todd Haley, and especially that potential freaking disaster that could happen with those two going on the same sideline. Yeah, that would be that would last what, two games? One and a half? Oh yeah, they'd be they'd both be carted off after a fight at halftime. <laughs> anyway, so back yeah. to Chiefs Broncos. Yeah, uh, I don't know. What's the most interesting part about this game? Chris Fowler or Kirk Herbstreet on the call? It's like the college broadcast on the Yeah, um, I mean, look, I, I I hope that the Chiefs don't view it. It's two things. One, I think I, I came away from last Sunday's game. Maybe I'm just too, um, you know, looking at it too hopefully through red and gold glasses. But there is a big part of me that viewed the loss against the Bengals 
similarly to a loss against the Titans the year the Chiefs won the Super Bowl where you're like, it's a loss on the road to a good team and a lot of things had to go wrong to lose by three points. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, looking at tomorrow, I look at the, just the Chiefs are so much better. I think they should win by quite a bit. Uh, but those are two feelings that I have and simultaneously two feelings that I hope and pray nobody at one arrowhead drive has yeah i hope they're i hope they're all not panicking and like a um, but don't you think it has to help you're coming off a loss yeah yeah for sure and in the way you lost yeah and that's why i say i hope they're i don't want them to be panicking because panicking could lead to some stupid mental mistakes but i hope they're um i hope they're looking at the loss at cincinnati a little more than well just bad things happen sometimes and if that's the case, if this refocused them, um, then yeah, they should beat Denver by, I, I don't know what the weather's like in Denver tomorrow. I guess I should check that. Uh, but unless the weather's supposed to be frigid, I think it should be about 34 to 10, 34, 13. Chiefs. Well, I mean, even then last year, it was the, uh, it was snow game, snow game, and they just destroyed them. Yeah. I mean, I, I really, I mean, weird things happen and I do have a funny feeling about this game. I don't know if I'm legitimately worried or if my funny feeling is just disappointment because there's, I think, I don't know if it was 538 or ESPN's FPI. Somebody gave the Chiefs a, a 16% chance of still getting the one seed, which I'd take that right yeah, now. Yeah, that's pretty high, actually. Uh, consider, I mean, the only thing you got going, the Broncos aren't good and then the Texans are hosting. But anyway, um, Point being, I I don't know if because I feel like they've lost the one seed is why I've got a, a meh feeling about this game, but hopefully I'm just overly worried. Um, yeah, it looks like it's going to be high 30s, not a ton of wind, chance of rain. Yeah, lo- logically, I mean, every everything says the Chiefs should win this game by multiple touchdowns, um, but there is part of me that's like, eh, weird things happen, weird things just happened in the last game. I mean, it's easy to fall in love with with the some of the things the Broncos have. They have a a couple good running backs. They have a, a pretty solid trio of receivers. Their defense is top five in the NFL. How have they still been top five since they traded Von Miller? I mean, it depends what what you're looking at. But I, but I don't like know fi- since then, but I just know overall right now they're third. I think in in either well, points or yards allowed per and game. The, and the fact that they're still that high, even if that means they're not top five in the time since they released Von or traded Von Miller. At the very least, what that tells you is they certainly didn't fall off a cliff. No, I I think there is something to the idea of he like pissed everyone off with that Halloween party. But yeah, they're yeah, third in, in points allowed, ninth in yards allowed. Like they're a good defense. Yeah, they just are. They're second in first downs allowed. Well, with Von Miller, I would have said that they are the best. The best, uh, with the exception of the quarterback, they're the best non-quarterback mm-hmm. roster in the division. I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that may still be true without no, Von Miller. It absolutely might. If they had a quarterback, like they they can be a real contender. Um, the one place I'm I'm sure they do miss Von Miller is that third down defense. That's been really the one non strength of the defense so far. Their third down play, and the Chiefs have been so good on third down. So if you're looking for just like a matchup thing, that obviously helps the Chiefs. But again, I just I don't go much further in this game than the fact that they have Drew Locke, you have Patrick Mahomes. And it was one thing with Teddy Bridgewater who I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is that good but he's at least when you have so many other good things around you like he can you know manage an upset we've seen him almost upset the Chiefs a couple times once when he was at the Panthers last year I guess technically that game earlier this year which was 22 to 9 and you know they they had that long drive that um could have I think tied up the game and they ended up getting stopped short but it's just it's hard for me to see the Chiefs 
maybe they don't cover something. The 11 and a half is a lot. It's hard for me to see the Chiefs losing this game. You went and, and back to the point about Teddy Bridgewater, that is, um, you know, and, and he was, I mean, Matt Rule has since got fired, but he had Matt Rule last year. But I think Ted, Teddy Bridgewater is the kind of quarterback where if you get him with a play caller like, you know, Andy Reid or Sean McDaniel, like you can turn that, you, you can, Teddy Bridgewater with a good offensive mind, you, you can get to 10 or 11 wins with him. I don't think that's the case with Drew Locke. I mean, and, and our memories might be somewhat skewed because Drew Locke has been, as as bad as he's been, um, he's been especially bad against the Chiefs. Yes. He's, he had, he's, he's in three starts. He's got two touchdowns and five interceptions. The revenge of uh, Clark Hunt's daughter. Is it Gracie? Grace Hunt? What they have to do with... They, they used to date. Oh, really? She, I don't know who broke up with who. I don't, I don't think that even matters, but they used to date. They broke up. Yeah. I don't know if it, the reason why. Was it because, you know, he's on the Broncos Chiefs? That just is a, is a bad start on a relationship or what? But the revenge what? of Grace Hunt. That Gracie, could be maybe he's know. just nervous playing in front of him then. Maybe he thinks maybe something really went down. And it, like, dude, you piss off a billionaire's daughter, he can hire someone to kill you. Or do you think I don't, it's I'm the not saying, of that? I'm not saying he would. I'm saying he could. But he could. Do you think there is the opposite of that, where it's like, hey, do us a solid. I'll get back together with you. You know, let us that win this could game. Be like, play yeah, like yeah, yeah, like, hey, you know, we, we can still secretly date. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, play like ass. You'll still make a bunch of money as a second round pick, and then on top yeah. of that, we'll get married, you know, and then you'll be the son in law of a of a billionaire. Yeah. So perfect. That, um now we went down a weird path in this game. <laughs> Uno, um, Drew Locke throwing games for his love of uh, um Clark Hunt's daughter. But yeah, I I, I just I don't know. It, it, maybe again I go back to maybe I'm just worried because everything looks Everything just makes perfect sense for a Chiefs to the Chiefs yeah. to win and win big, and and I I just I'm always, and I think at, even though we have a player, the Chiefs have a great player like Mahomes, there's still a big even as as a KU fan I don't know there's just something about fandom where you're always waiting for the other foot to drop even when things are going great. Yeah, I I if uh, if the Chiefs would have would have beaten the Bengals and Teddy Bridgewater were playing in this game, I would view this as hey maybe you are on upset alert a little bit here. It's a road game in Denver, and like I said, there would be certain things going against you because they lost to the Bengals. I think that resets your focus. They know they need to win this game where. You're also not having like moving to Saturday almost helps you a little bit, too, because if you're playing this game on Sunday, it'd be very easily as a player on the sideline to be looking up at the, you know, the little side yeah, scoreboards yeah, yeah. and you see the score of the Titans game and they're up 14 seven. You're like, well, this sucks. What are we even here for? You don't have to worry about that. You just yeah. go play your game. Uh, you have a score prediction. I'm going to I'm going to stick with something like 30. I'll go 34. No, I'll go 37, 13. I don't know if they're going to get in the 30s because I do like the Broncos' defense. I mean, last time you played them, you only scored 22. 22 that was yeah, an arrowhead, a and, and a touchdown of that was on a, a pick six. And decent weather, too. It's not like it was. Mm-hmm. I'll say Chiefs 24, Broncos 10. And then uh, and then you're looking at the rest of the weekend, and we'll, we'll get into Chiefs playoff scenarios, I think, later this hour. Um but then you just, golly, those damn Chargers is what it's looking like. But as far as tomorrow goes, um, yeah, just grab the win, guarantee yourself that two seed, um, and then you go from there. But yeah, so you're you're going. What'd you say, twenty something to ten? Yeah, twenty four to ten. Okay, I just 
Zero what's trust. The, what's, do you have the over under in front of you? Sorry to put you on the spot right there. No, I I'll do not. I'll keep talking while you look for it. But the reason I ask is I, I, um, I could see the over under being somewhere in the forties because of how low scoring, how bad Drew Lock is, and in, you know how low scoring the Chiefs were in the last game. I can't imagine Vegas expects the Broncos to score more than two. It's forty four. So yeah, you're you're right on it. Or no, you're you're well under at twenty four to ten, but yeah. You're right on in the sense that it's it's a projected low-scoring game. Yeah. Uh, we'll actually pick that game in the game picks, but you probably know where we're leaning after hearing both of our thoughts. Um, let's do our game picks coming up next. With Adam Brevetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Uno, would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We've got high school basketball coming at you. Bishop Seabury, Veritas Christian tonight. Pre-game starts at 545. Uh, the girls' game at 6. The guys' game a little after, probably around 730 or so. Sam Speck, Colsey DeButar on the call. My last boss, uh, well, mm-hmm. well, while I was uh, waiting for a job in broadcasting and then working here part-time, um, I delivered uh, pizzas mm-hmm. for a place. And the general manager of that, uh, of that place... Um, it's not in Lawrence for the record. It is a national chain, but it's not, it's not a location in Lawrence. Anyway, uh, he, uh, is a graduate and a former athlete at Veritas. Oh, okay. Do you know what he played? What sport? I think he played most sports. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, that's the beauty of those small, small schools. It's like you have, you know, you can try like whatever you want you can get to experience a bunch of different sports. Yeah. So Veritas right there. Okay, right cool off stuff. 59 Highway. Yeah, the uh, Eagles against the, I almost called them the Seagulls because it would have rhymed. That would be perfect. You know what? I, the Bishop Seabury is the Seahawks. I think they should change their name to the Seagulls so it's the Eagles versus Seagulls the Eagles. Eagles. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Okay. Um, so hey, yeah, hey, that one how, come, how, come, how come Seagulls fly o- over the sea? Hmm. I don't know. Because if they flew over the bay, they'd be bagels. Okay. <laughs> I knew there was a punchline here, and I was, like, trying to get, you know, yeah. All right, let's move on from that. Game picks. Adam, you are 80-53-2. You've been killing it. I am 89-79-2. We'll start with college football, where you are 35-23. and You went 5-1 and last week. I went 4-2 and last week. I'm at 40-44-1, and so I have no chance because we only have three things to pick here of getting uh, a 500 or better record. First up, FCS title game. This is tomorrow, played in Frisco, Texas. Montana State, North Dakota State, the Bison are giving up seven and a half. I know nothing but nothing about um, the the matchup in this game. Um, I know Montana State beat South Dakota State, I think, to get there. Um Beyond that, I don't know much about it. I, I'm, I mean, I'll just pick the team that is the dynasty and say North Dakota State. Um, but I, I can't offer any analysis. I'm yeah, not no, I, I can't really either. I can tell you this. I can tell you Montana State in the semis beat South Dakota State. South Dakota State was the one team who beat North Dakota State. So does that do anything for you? Montana State also had to beat the number one seed, which was Sam Houston State. To go further down that line, though, South Dakota State lost to South Dakota. Mm-hmm. 
So that was a crazy game. It was a great ending. Yeah. Um, since you did your seagull joke, can I do my my bad joke? Oh, obviously. Um, I'd be offended if you didn't. <laughs> what does the buffalo say to his kid when he drops him off at school? I, I know the answer, but I'll let you fire bison. the punchline. Yeah, bison. But I'm not going with North Dakota State. I'm going with Montana State for for that reason alone. I just I don't know. It just seems like they went on a good path. Like you said, I know nothing uh, about you know. Are these they the teams. Cougars or the Bob, Bobcats? Montana State? I don't even know. I don't know who I'm I know picking. that some just... kid from Montana State during a Montana State basketball game won like $11,000 last year. Good for him. Canning a shot. Or her. It was a him. Okay. And he can't. Joe is his name. I actually follow him on Twitter now. <laughs> he canned a. Um, the deal was you got to make a layup, a. It was a layup, um, a free throw, free throw three pointer, three half pointer, court? and full court. Full court. Yeah. What? Yeah. So you got to heave one, and it's eleven Good for him. Eleven gur. Good for him. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number three, Georgia, taking on number one Alabama. This is on Monday night national championship. We'll talk more about this game on Monday, but just for the sake of uh, game picks, who do you like? Bulldogs, man. I think they do it. And I was, I don't know. Maybe it's just stubbornness on my part, but I, I, I felt. Coming away from the semifinals, I was like, God, I really think Georgia wants a rematch bad, and I think they would perform so much better. Um, and in, and then I felt a little more validated in that belief when they came out as the favorite. Um, I know, I, I don't know. I just this feels like a game where you're gonna if, if you look into the money. I don't know this, but it feels like a game where if you look in the money. You're going to see a lot of numbers of bets being placed on Alabama, but a lot of money being on Georgia. That is to say, the general public's going Alabama, but the people who are betting large sums of money, a.k.a. people who uh, make their living off of betting on games, are going to probably be going Georgia. Um, Again, this could be total stubbornness and wishful thinking on my part uh, because I've, I've ridden Georgia all year, but... I still think they're a better team than Alabama. I think they, they can exploit Alabama can exploit the one weakness Georgia has, which is uh, it's not even a weakness. It's just a non-strong secondary. Um, but I still I'm going with the dogs. I've gone back and forth on this so many times. Uh, you could convince me, well, Georgia has the revenge factor. Maybe Georgia didn't really put everything on tape in that first meeting. I mean, they looked so, so good against Michigan, but also Michigan style of play kind of plays into like it, it makes sense looking back. We talked about this last Friday or, or Thursday um, about you know I thought it was going to be a close game, but I thought the second most likely scenario was Georgia blowing them out because they're so similar in what they do. It's just Georgia did it better, it, and with Alabama they can actually throw the ball on. Yeah, it, it, you're right. That game looked like Georgia practice practicing against its own scout team. That is, you see two teams running very similar types of uh, particularly on offense so two teams who do their each thing very similarly georgia georgia just does it way better than michigan um and that's not the case here nick saban has has found whether it be when he hired lane kiffin or whatever the case may be somewhere along the line i mean and we talked before about great great coaches can are always looking at themselves in the mirror going what can i do how could you know? I need to stay on the cutting edge. I can't just rest on my laurels and and stay stubborn. I have to keep re- reinventing the way I do things to stay where I want to be. 
And Nick Saban has embraced the forward passing game uh, a lot over the last five or seven years. Um, so, you, yeah. I'm going to go with Alabama. I just think better quarterback. They have the best defensive player on the field in Will Anderson, though Georgia might have two through like six or something. Um, you have the better coach. I can't get myself to go away from Alabama, so I'm going to go with Alabama. Uh, the over-under for the game is 52 points. Uh, oh, we're picking that? Yep. Um, first off, I will say the whole uh, Saban against former assistants. Uh, Saban, he knows the two rules to success. Number one, never tell anybody everything you know. Anyway, moving on. What's number two? Not going to tell you. Of number one. Ah. There you go. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, uh, the over, did you say, what was it, 52? 52. I don't know. That's a, that's a, I like that number. I think that's about perfect because that's, you know, like 27, 24, 27, 26. Um, I'll go, oof. I'll go over because I think it could be I, like 31-24 gets you there. So I, I'll, I'll say over. But that's that's a tough – that number is perfect. Yeah, it really is. I'm going over as well. The first game was way over, which scares me that this is like two touchdowns than that total was in that first game because it just makes you immediately say, oh, it'll be easily over. So it scares me taking the over, and I could see both defenses just uh, coming up with a huge performance. But if I'm picking Alabama to win, it's got to be because they passed the ball well because Bryce Young had a big game in the passing game. And I think for that reason, I, I need to take the over. I, I think Alabama would have to get like 31 points. So I, I don't know. I guess I'll go the over, but I don't love it. Uh, my lock of the week is going to be a prop bet from that game. 13-5 and five on locks. Brian Robinson, who is the Alabama running back, his over-under for rushing yards is 77.5. I'm taking the under. Georgia is giving up 2.7 yards per carry. That's not great when you're running back. First meeting when they they met up, Robinson had 16 carries for 55 yards. That was under four yards per carry. He still wound up with 22 yards short or 23 yards short of the over there. I think Georgia's defense comes to play. I don't think he ends up with over 77 and a half rushing yards, so I like that one. Off the top of my head, I think he'd need 39 carries at (laughs) at two yards a clip. He'd need 39 (laughs) carries to get the over. Don't think he's getting 39 carries. That makes me feel good. Okay, on to the NFL. Uh, you're 40 and 29. I am 49 and 35. First up. That was terrible last week. Kansas City, minus 11 and a half at Denver. I, for, I mean, I'm still going with the Chiefs, I said in the last segment, but golly, man, I I just feel so I feel so weird about this game, and I can't explain why. Um, but since I can't explain why, I'm just going to go with what my mind says, and that's that the Chiefs win by about 20. Yeah, I, I gave my score prediction 24-10. That obviously means I like the Chiefs to cover the 11.5, so I'll take them. The other Saturday game, Dallas is minus 4.5. They're at Philadelphia. I freaking anointed Dallas, the best team in the NFC behind the Packers a week ago, and then they crapped in their hat. Um, I, I still, I don't know. The Eagles don't have much to play for. I don't know if the Cowboys, the Cowboys can still nab the two seed, can't they? Yes, I think uh, they would need the Bucks to lose. What are the Eagles still in playoff contention? Are they? Yeah, they're currently. This is what's interesting about this game. Right now, the Eagles would be in the playoffs, and there's a very real chance they turn around that, and play in the next. Yeah, week. this could be a rematch. I love when that happens. For the record, um, 
But the Eagles have not clinched a playoff spot. Yeah, what did you say? It's four and a half. Yeah. No, I think I think Philly keeps it close. So and it's it's in Philly, right? Yes. No, I, I mean I can see this being a field goal game, in which case that 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 works. So yeah, yeah, give me the Eagles plus the points. So I kind of like Dallas in this one. I think because of the fact they're still playing to try to get up to the two seed, they know that you know if they beat the Eagles, they could hypothetically knock them out. There there has to be some other stuff go right for that to happen. Divisional opponent, I think they want to do that. I'm going to take Dallas minus the four and a half. They're coming off a kind of a weird loss against the Cardinals. And then they rematch in the playoffs. If that happens, I might pick Philadelphia. No, I, I'd still go Dallas. But I like Dallas in this situation for sure. Um, Pittsburgh at Baltimore. The Ravens are giving up five points. Um, are Ravens in, in playoff contention at all? They're, they still are, aren't they, even though they've fallen off in preseason? Yeah, they need some things to go right. They have to win. Just to get a wild card? Like, yeah, they... they, they they have the, to the win. The Bengals and, already won that division. Yes, they have to win and then hope that basically like the Colts lose. I'm pretty sure. And it's, to in, the and it's in Baltimore. Yeah. Do we know anything Lamar about Lamar? Out. Tyler Huntley starting. And what's the line? Five. Ravens are laying it. Yep. Um, I don't really like this game at all, but I guess I'll go. I guess I'll lay the points. Take the Ravens. I'm going to go with Pittsburgh. I just think it's too many points. I think it's a close game. This could be Ben Roethlisberger's I, last game. I think game. The, the love of blitzing um, by, um, oh, I forget his name. It's not Dean Pease used to be their their defensive coordinator. Uh, the Wink, Winkerson or something like that is their, quarter, is their defensive coordinator now. Anyway, that guy loves to blitz, and Ben Roethlisberger is as, as you know, Portable as this building, <laughs> so I do think that helps the Ravens. Yeah, I'm, but it I, could still be really low. I just think it's a close game. So I'll take the, and, and in a low-scoring game, five points is a lot. Okay, San Francisco at the Rams. L.A. is giving up four and a half. Um, they still. I think they still said Garoppolo is out. Um, did Arizona clinch the division already? Rams are still playing. No, Rams are actually in the division lead. Yeah, give me the Rams minus the points then for that reason. So I think the Rams win, but I think it's closer than the four and a half. San Francisco, Kyle Shanahan has actually done very, very well against Sean McVay. They beat him earlier this year. I I like San Francisco to keep it close. San Francisco is also in a spot where right now they would be one of the wild cards, but they are in a situation like the Eagles. They're both a game up on the Saints. Uh, There would have to be certain things go wrong for them to lose and, and still miss the playoffs, but I think because of that, they're going to be, you know, very attentive was it, in this game. Was it just last week that they lost to Tennessee on Thursday night? No, that was the week before. Okay, I was going to say, if they're coming off, if they had 10 days rest, that'd be big. Yeah, um, but I, I think they at least keep it close. Last one, this is Sunday Night Football. Winner of this gets a wild card. If they tie, they could both make the wild card. Chargers, minus three at Las Vegas. Wouldn't the tie thing only be if yeah, Jacksonville if beats? Yeah, mm-hmm beats oh the Colts um all right sorry I was too excited about the the potential of the tie give me the the line again and where is it being played Chargers minus three at Las Vegas I mean if you it looked for the mo- it looked for a time on that Monday night football game earlier this year that the Chargers were going to win like 42 to 10 um and then they didn't I mean they still won but it wasn't just this freakish blowout that the game started as so I wonder if if I wonder how much of the clip was unloaded in that game um, offensively. I think the the Raiders rally, which I never thought in a million years I would say, 
But yeah, give me the Raiders. You were calling for Raiders I know. Collapse. I was ready for their collapse, and it just never wow. happened. I will but take I think the at Chargers. This, at this point, they just look at it and go, well, everything else has happened. I just can't envision. Look, the be- that, yeah, golly. I like It's the better picture team, it test. Better team, better you know, coach. Yeah. Better quarterback. And it's the picture it test of, like, picture the Raiders in the playoffs with the Chargers and the Ravens and, and all these teams not in the not playoffs. In I can't. I can't. So I'm taking the Chargers. You know what? But it's it's how much? Minus three. Golly. Um. Yeah. Give me. No. I'll, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I haven't switched all year. I'm switching. Chargers. Okay. First switch of the year. All right. That is our game picks. Coming up next, we're gonna talk uh, a little about the Chiefs' playoff scenarios, who they could possibly play in the first round. That on the other side with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in about a quarter till five. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Uh, The Chiefs uh, could be the one seed if they get lucky with the Titans losing, but realistically, Titans taking on the Texans, even though the Texans did already beat them once, the chances of them losing twice. I mean, the Texans, the Texans could become this year's version of the Dolphins. Yeah, they because could. they already beat the Chargers to do the Chiefs a solid earlier this year, and and um, I can't remember who the Chiefs had to beat, but it was the Chiefs beating somebody at home, and the and the uh, Texans Steelers beating Steelers, yeah. and then the Texans beating the Chargers. Um, the Chiefs likely would have clinched the division anyway, but that actually that upset of the Chargers sealed it for the Chiefs. Um, Basically, that means it's most likely the Chiefs are going to be playing in the wild card round. Yeah, and um, and that's a huge and and unfortunately, if you look at the games played, it's very likely going to be against the Los Angeles Chargers, who have given the Chiefs fits this year. So that's who it would be right now. Um, pretty much, we know that of the three wild cards, like one is going to be, I mean, it, it is like, it's already clinched. Whoever loses the AFC North or yeah, it's the North is going to be a wild card right now. That would be the bills or the Patriots right now. It would be the Patriots. If both won or if both lost, if the Patriots win and the bills, obviously then it would switch. Um, so that means that one of those two Patriots or bills are going to be wild cards. Did you mean AFC East? You said AFC North. I knew I was wrong with the division. Um, yeah, the other two are going to come from the grouping of Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, the Chargers, or the Raiders. But realistically, like, do you want to do you want to explore the scenario of the Colts losing to the Jaguars, or do you want to be? I mean, I think that's more likely than the Titans losing to the. Uh, you think the Colts losing to the Jaguars is, is more likely? Really? Yeah, now that I see the Jaguars have it. the either, worst either way, record in the I'm NFL. I'm not sure that either are worth exploring. Yeah, probably not. Because that's like I said, the Jaguars literally are the going to be the number one pick no matter what happens in that game for the second straight year. So I even even if they're about the same, regardless, I, I don't think it's a very likely chance of happening. If they do, we get to that scenario you talked about. Chargers and Raiders could both tie and just, just say let's both make the playoffs, right? Gentlemen's agreement for a tie. Um, yeah, I I, I think, um, but I think what's what are the most likely. Most likely AFC scenarios right now are Titans by 
Chiefs, Chargers, um, Ravens, Colts. No, it would no, actually uh, be. Go ahead. Well, so pretty much, like I said, one of whoever loses the the Buffalo New England division, that's guaranteed a spot for a wild card. Okay, so now so you only have two would spots. They, would they, was there any chance they would play each other again? Yeah, right now that's how it would be. They'd be okay. the five and the four seed. Um, then you have two spots left in the wild card. If the Colts win at the Jaguars, they're a spot. They get, they so get now a, you have one spot left that's between the winner of the Chargers and the Raiders. Okay, so so the so the the Steelers and the Ravens need quite a bit of help. Then. They need the Colts to lose, or they need a if the Colts win, and the Chargers Raiders tie, then I think they can get in. Wow, I didn't realize they, need they needed that much help. I just assumed one of them was going to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, think of how far the Ravens have fallen, man. You know, Lamar's um, been hurt for so that, long. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's you lose your starting quarterback. That happens. Um, I, yeah, I just I think right now the thing I'm more most focused on is how huge of a deal it is. Look, truly, the only difference now, I I I think because of the change in rules of now the one seed being the only one that gets a buy. I think now people are way undervaluing the two. Not to say the buy isn't important. The buy is very important, but you probably have about a 75-25 or a 70-30 chance to win your wild card round if you're the two seed. So you have a 70-30 shot at a home divisional round game. And you only need the Titans. I mean, you need, you know, is anybody going to be even look? Even if Derrick Henry might be underdogs, even in the if, divisional round, even if Derrick Henry is able to play, and it's you know maybe he plays this weekend, so it would be his second game back. Maybe he doesn't play and he's on a bunch of rest, and it's his first game back. But I mean, is anybody going to sit here? It, it would be a bigger the Titans if if the Titans lose their divisional round game if with the bye, if they lose that divisional round game. It would it would not be as big of an upset as the Titans over the Ravens a couple years ago, so there's still a good chance if the Chiefs wind up with the two seed, they're hosting the AFC title game again, um, and it, it, there's also a good chance. I will say this: it scares the hell out of me the thought of going Chargers Bills. Well, back this to is back week. This is what the most likely scenario that happens this weekend is: Titans win at Houston, Colts win at Jacksonville. Chargers win at the Raiders. Chiefs beat the Broncos. Um, who am I missing? And then both the Patriots win at Miami. The Bills beat the Jets. And then let's say the Browns upset the Bengals because Joe Burrow is not playing. That would mean... I think multiple guys are out. Yeah, Joe it's Mixon's out too. Yeah. Um, in that scenario, the Bengals would and to get be the clear, four seed. For anybody but, getting giddy about the prospect of, of the Bengals not having healthy players, they're sitting because they can't really improve their seed at all. Yeah. So um, we want to be clear on that. These aren't injuries. This is just resting for the playoffs. So the the Bills in that scenario would be the three seed. The Bengals would be the four. And then five, six, seven would be New England, Indianapolis, and the Chargers. Um, where it gets interesting is, I guess, hypothetically, if the Patriot. I don't know. I think no matter what, like the seven seed is is looking like the Chargers, you which know, is very interesting. And, unless the Colts lose, and even if even if even if the Titans lose and the Chiefs win and the Chiefs wind up with that one seed, 
there's such a good chance your your first game is against the Chargers because that would mean that the Chargers wind up with the seventh seed. They go to Tennessee, who would be the two seed. They probably, golly, man, in the wild card round, the Chargers might be favored against Tennessee if it's a seven versus two matchup. In which case, you'd still be playing the Chargers in your first round in your division round game if they win. Yeah. So if you want to, because I think we'd both agree, you wouldn't love playing the Chargers in the first game. If you want that not to happen. You basically need um, the Colts to lose to the Jaguars, and that would allow an opportunity for the Chargers to move up to the sixth seed, and then the seventh seed in that situation would either be the Raiders or the Steelers based on other situations. That would be ideal. If you play the Raiders or the Steelers as your seven, in a good spot. That, that's fantastic. 2003 taught me something very important. Don't ever root for a certain scenario because you think it will be beneficial to your team. That, uh, the 2003 Final Four, KU had just walloped Marquette. I'm thinking, hey, Syracuse is a lower seed than us. Uh, and Texas gave us a hell of a run for our money inside Allen Fieldhouse earlier this year. Let's go Syracuse over Texas. We all know how that worked out in the national championship game. Point being, um, you know, I, I won't be, and I think you, you feel the same way. Like, I'm not, I'm not scared of anybody, right? I think no, the, I mean, you're going to be favored. Chiefs, I think the Chiefs are what would you say four point favorites against everybody in the, in the in the AFC playoffs three maybe. Yeah, um, I think they're favored by two in Nashville, even if they got to go there in the AFC championship. Yeah, probably two and a half. Yeah, I bet you it's yeah it's probably three and a half four against the Chargers. The, the question becomes Steelers. It's probably ten. The, I don't know. the question becomes what what is the more what is more true the the 21 to 13 lead that the uh, that the Chargers took um against the Chiefs in San Diego or in um Los Angeles or the utter dominance of the Chiefs just going what it was 21 to 7 to in the, the in the the game mm-hmm. on that Thursday night factoring in a couple things there are two things to factor in with the with the last game that the Chiefs and the Chargers played one the Chiefs were the road team on uh, a Thursday night which is always a, a difficult scenario and two, and that was the, the the side that could make you go, okay, maybe things go better for the Chiefs. However, the things that make you think it could go work worse for the Chiefs is um, if Staley continues his fourth down uh, decision-making. If he has a game the, where he gets the, hot. Exactly. The odds would say things would fall, the, the coin would fall more in their favor this time around. And then you're looking at, you know, it's not um, – you know, you're looking at needing two touchdowns in the final three minutes, not just one. So that, um, but you know, I, I would, I like the Chiefs at home. I think they, I still think they are the best team in the AFC, regardless of what seed they turn out with. Um, but they're just matchup. You know, styles make fights, and and the the Chargers just seem like a weird matchup for for the Chiefs. But I don't know. Could that just be a fluky deal? Because the Raiders for the for everything look like a t- difficult. They beat. I mean, the same scenario last year where um, the Raiders beat the Chargers or beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead Stadium, and then later on a primetime game, the Chiefs had to get a come come from behind win with a great final drive by Mahomes uh, for the Chiefs to win it on the road, which is exactly what happened this year uh, with the Chargers and the Chiefs. So you could say that third game comes and just. You know, and the Chiefs just pull away and win. You know, thirty-five to 
24 and it's never even that close. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we were just like ranking the the wild card teams with who you would most want to play to least want to play, I think the Raiders and Steelers would be at the top. Um, as far as want to? Yeah. As far as want to play, I would assume that the Colts and Chargers would be near the bottom of that list. I don't yeah, know who I mean, you'd rather what's play. What's his name? Those. I mean, you've got Jonathan Taylor can. can run and and that's that's the type of game where I would honestly rather play the Colts than the Chargers though. Yeah, I know. And it, the 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 thing that worries me about the Colts is just if you make a couple mistakes um then you could find yourself down and the Colts play a style where it's really hard to come back from. The thing is the Chiefs play a style um that it, it is beneficial like it it helps you come back. The the way the Chiefs play between Andy Reid's not aggressiveness on going for two and going for it on fourth down, but his aggressiveness in, in how like how much he likes to attack with a passing game. And then Patrick Mahomes just pure ability. Um you know, you could see that being a game where even if everything goes perfectly as the to the Colts plan, it's seventeen to fourteen and the Chiefs have the ball back with three and a half minutes and two timeouts and you're like, Well, what the hell? What we just all all this went perfectly and Mahomes still has a chance to beat us at the end. Um I could see the Chargers, like I, the the Chargers at this moment are the only team in the AFC that I look at and say they really truly can. I, mean, I might have just said NFC. The Chargers are the only team in the AFC who I look at and think that is a team that can. I wouldn't pick it, but can beat the Chiefs by ten points or more. And I don't say that about any other team. Well, we've seen the Chargers win in Arrowhead too earlier this year, although it was. Uh, you know, a little fluky with all the turnovers that the Chiefs had. So I, it's unfortunate because that's kind of the most likely scenario that you do end up playing the Chargers, but that's the one I least want in the wild card. As you're moving forward, though, in the divisional, so you said you'd be afraid of the Bills. I, I obviously don't want to you, – you wouldn't want to play the Bills, but I would – in my opinion, I think uh, the Bills are a better matchup than the Bengals. Yeah, that could be true. Um, I just keep thinking back to the fact that the Chiefs were – some funny, you know, they were a funny business. Business Tyreek Hill catch away from being up thirty-five seventeen on the Bengals. Yeah, well, I mean, you could you could play the same game with the Bills and say that uh, the game this year you had the the tipped interception of Tyreek Hill, you yeah, had the roughing it, the passer, you and then you beat be, them twice last year. Yeah, right? that's a good point. That's a good point. I I just view the the Chiefs' style of play defensively. They're going to want to play man, and I think you can get away with that a little more against the Bills and the Bengals with all those good receivers. But I don't know. I think. Uh, I think if you if you want the easiest path, at least in the wild card, you should probably be rooting for two things, or one of two things. Either hope that the Jaguars beat the Colts, or hope that the Raiders beat the Chargers. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk, two hours down, one to go on KLWN, depending on it.